forever. Dog. Welcome to Public Intellectual. I'm your host, Jessica Crispin. This podcast is supported by its listeners. And if you would like to become a supporter, you can go to patreon.com slash public intellectual. And this week's episode is actually a bonus episode that we are releasing wide so that you can get a sense of the kind of exclusive bonus content that you get when you become a supporter. In it, Eileen Giselle and I discuss films and stories of the older woman and younger man romance. About once a month, we get together and talk about random films. We also have a series with Michael Scott Moore where we discuss literature by women. And these are the bonus episodes. Welcome to them. Uh, So go to patreon.com slash public intellectual, become a subscriber, help keep this podcast going, and you'll get access to episodes like this on a regular basis. Uh, welcome back to Film Club with uh, myself, Jessica Crispin, and our guest, Eileen Giselle, our co-host, uh, Eileen Giselle. How, how's it going over there? It's, it's muggy. It's muggy. <laughs> it's, Western. Uh, yeah. it's a good time to be indoors next to an oscillating fan and talking about film. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah. So the way that this 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 topic came about, because we're going to be discussing the older woman, younger man storyline, romantic storyline in film, and this was basically because uh, I could, when I started thinking about how rare I have seen this relationship in films, could only think of um, the piano teacher and Cherie. And spoiler alerts, like one ends up where she like stabs herself in the chest and the other one ends up with him blowing his head off. So uh, I was trying to, yeah, it's not, it's not really, it's not really encouraging. Um, No. (laughs) No. So yeah, I wanted, I wanted to explore this issue uh, through film of different uh, dynamics because certainly it's treated as completely normal when there's an older woman, younger man, or no, sorry, uh, older man, younger woman, particularly, <laughs> particularly with its, um, uh, it's an accomplished, less attractive man, uh, with an adoring, bright eyed, beautiful young thing on his arm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, today I discovered the hell that is uh, the information that Dane Cook is dating a 19-year-old uh, and people are really upset about this online. <laughs> anyway, so that is sort of like a, a it's, it's not necessarily pathologized. It's taken as sort of natural and normal, but the older woman relationship, uh, you get, you stab yourself in the chest. It's inevitable. That's, that's what I'm getting from. from film. <laughs> yeah. I'm, 
I, I think that what's interesting about the films that I watched to prepare for this podcast is that most of them do pathologize the, um, if not the woman, then the relationship itself. And yet mm -hmm. I think actually what I like the most about nonfiction and Let the Sunshine In, which were the two movies that Juliette Binoche has done that I've written about um, in the last year, is that well, those aren't the only two movies, but of the two, um, of the several, is that I felt like nonfiction did not pathologize uh, Juliette right. Binoche in her relationship with um, her husband, Elaine, who's considerably younger. It's not even like a not even really mentioned as relevant in the film and then in let the sunshine in she has all sorts of affairs with with the schlubby older guys with the guys her age with the younger guys and it seems like throughout the film each of them disappoints her equally if yeah, yeah. in a different way so it's not really it, but it doesn't pathologize her as a kind of cougar or the relationship is failing specifically because of the fact that there's an age gap. Whereas, you know, um, in Cherie, of course, and also in uh, the piano teacher, I mean, the piano teacher suggests a lot of things. Um, I'm not even sure if the, I mean, the age gap is relevant, but I feel like the sadomasochistic aspect and the protagonists, uh, Isabelle Huppert's character, her, um, overall i guess uh torment i guess i would describe it as kind of mm -hmm. internal torment and sexual repression I feel like they could be interpreted as the reason why things didn't work out just as much as the age gap between her and um her lover in the movie um right i it, it's interesting like the um uh so the other movie that i came across when i was thinking about this uh is the something's gotta give which isn't oh, a relationship yeah. right it's just like a flirtation mm -hmm. um between keanu reeves and diane keaton um so it's somewhat like the um piano teacher where uh the the older woman is found to be attractive because she's really good at what she does and the piano teacher it's obviously uh her right. schubert uh yeah. and then in something's got to give it's her plays um but in something's got to give it's it's considered to be absurd almost that a woman would be um admired sexually or romantically because she was good at what she does i mean that's sort of seen as being very normal that a man accomplishes something so that he can attract women <laughs> exactly but it she treats it as absurd in in this movie of like you know why would this guy feel this way about it? and so of course she goes and finds the, the, the older man who treats her like garbage that's supposed to be the romantic ideal instead um yeah it's uh it's interesting to me and because obviously the piano teacher is, i mean it's based on a yelenic book yeah and yelenic has written about how um becoming a genius becoming great often makes women less appealing than more appealing um i don't think that's necessarily true anymore but it, it it's uh i think it used to be true I think it's still true in a lot of ways. I mean, I think that it's not as true. I don't think it's not nearly as extreme as the piano. Right. Um, 
Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, uh, brilliant novelist women are getting groupies uh, <laughs> in the way that I've seen, you know, young girls show up to yeah, Salman like, Rushdie readings. Like, that's actually an excellent example. Um, Salman Rushdie is an excellent example. I think that there's, yeah. I, I think that, um, I think that there is, there's still a sense, I think, um, among women today that as your stock is rising, professionally or creatively that it could be falling romantically because of the fact that you are not as needy anymore. And one of the, mm-hmm. one of the lines that um, Betty Davis says in uh, all about Eve, which I thought was hilarious, but also quite relevant today was something about how, Oh no, no. She was talking about how, you know, all she wanted to be, how Eve is helpless, vulnerable and feminine, all the things that she tries to be, for her fiance, Bill, um, mm-hmm. who's I think eight years younger in the film. And I feel like this sense that women need to be um, needy in some way or rely on a man in some way, it still persists um, as an expectation, even for men who don't want to an extent to feel like they have to be providing um and that if they're not providing something um financially um especially financially that there might be some kind of asymmetry of power that isn't um that that isn't i guess um healthy even though i think Mm -hmm. i mean it's 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 all it's the opposite of course when the when the gender roles are reversed um but it makes me think of actually um, with the uh, asymmetry of power aspect um, financially, um, it makes me think, or and, and ideologically and otherwise, I, I recently read this book by Lisa Duggan um, called Mean Girl. It's about Ayn Rand. Have you heard mm-hmm. of it? Uh, I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. I mean, there's a lot of things that are obviously abhorrent, but... She had a much, much, much younger husband and kept him for quite some time. I think then she cheated on him and things got ugly. But um, she was somebody who w- did actually, I think she is one of the few, I mean, it's it's awful because of her politics and what she represented in a lot of ways, but she, and maybe that's why, but she was kind of this for a time Harold is this like female genius who did have a lot of male acolytes um, and saw her as, as maybe, I don't know, as attractive. I'm not sure, but um, it just seems so rare. Um, mm-hmm. And in, in Julia Binoche, I feel like I'm not sure it's, it's what I think is especially impressive about nonfiction is that it doesn't present her as like younger than she is it doesn't try to make her seem like she's in her thirties. It doesn't represent her like, like she's wearing like, you know, she's wearing uh really, you know, this conspicuous um, fur coat and very glamorous attire in certain places, but she's also wearing like a, a, an Argyle sweater inside and like kind of not frumpy, but just really not sexy clothes. Let's just put it that way. Um, and yet she's desirable, um, across the course of the film and, and her, her, her desirability is normalized, uh, which was very refreshing. 
Yeah, it's, yeah, it's. I found it interesting with the All About Eve rewatching it for this particular uh, episode because I've seen it a lot, but I was sort of more cued in on the uh, age difference part yeah. of the relationship for obvious reasons. But um, there did seem to be something in the fact that she was playing. I mean, she, you know, she's playing on stage a younger version of herself. Like she's playing an ingenue. She's playing like these younger characters and knowing in her heart, she's not pulling it off, but nobody will tell her that no one will admit to it. Uh, and, and including her much younger boyfriend who's, yeah, she's 40. She he's 32. Um, and she's like, I can't do this role anymore. And they're like, you're great. You can do anything. And it just starts to drive her crazy because if they're lying about this, because it's, clear that everybody is lying that she can pull off you know being a 20 something on stage uh then what else aren't they telling her the truth about and so it just makes her crazier and crazier especially with her relationship with her boyfriend uh who desperately wants to marry her and she just can't trust him she just cannot trust his sincerity at all because uh she's in this trap um of if she admits that she is her own age. She potentially loses her boyfriend. Um, she uh, is aged out of interesting roles. The playwright is not writing roles for her at her own age. He only seems to write for, you know, 20 something women, but she can't hold on to the youth at all as well. So it's just like this impossible trap that she's stuck in and it's driving her insane. Um, I really, I really enjoyed uh, this particular um, watching of the film. Yeah, there's so many. And, and Zanuck, who I think actually wrote the, the movie as well. Um, it's interesting reading it. Like it feels highly aware of sexism. Like, I mean, you could one, I mean, I could see people watching all about Eve and, and saying that, Oh, well, the kind of, um, I don't know, conniving aspect of Eve is misogynistic and, and that it, recapitulates all sorts of problematic ideas about women trying to destroy each other. But then at the same time, I feel like the script and especially how masterfully uh, Betty Davis plays uh, Margot Channing, there's so many, like there's so many jabs about being like about how unfair it is essentially to be female and aging and how cynical mm -hmm. it could make you. Like, I think at one point her friend, I can't remember her friend's name, is but um margot's friend says something about like how her cynicism began as soon as she realized she was not a little boy and so are there, there are these lines throughout the the movie that gesture to how how it makes sense that margot channing is paranoid it makes sense that she's kind of going crazy because the way that she has to perform a certain level of youthfulness is crazy making Mm -hmm. So I felt like in that way, the film yeah. seemed very self-aware. Um, and I felt like it could be read um, as having a kind of feminist consciousness insofar as I find, you know, Jean's character, um, or Margot's character, excuse me, Margot's character very sympathetic. Um, even mm -hmm. though, of course, she's histrionic and, and that's played for laughs in a lot of places. There are ways it's like, okay, I can understand why she's, going crazy because everyone's saying, Oh no, 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 Eve is, is nothing but goodness and light. And she's thinking, 
Well, I don't actually think she is. And I think that even the the performance aspect, this idea, there's a whole monologue she makes in the back of the car about like the performance of being a woman and how like as a woman she's performing and she has to perform in order to be a woman. And I just felt like, wow, where where is Judith Butler? Um, hiding, hiding in the trunk of the car in this scene, <laughs> lighting, lighting Margot's cigarettes. Um, just, I don't know. It was very, it, feel, it felt a little prescient um, in a film that I hadn't really thought about in that way. Yeah. And as soon as she sort of accepts, as soon as she turns down the role and decides she doesn't want to do this anymore. And so she's, and she has no idea what's going to come, but she's just, uh, she knows she doesn't want to do this anymore. Uh, she relaxes, right. And yes. she just sort of like pours the champagne. She, um, uh, says yes to the marriage proposal. Exactly. Uh, she sort of restarts her life that has been sort of stagnant in this, in this moment. Um, uh, for for a decade, once you sort of age past the the twenty five year old twenty six year old thing, but yeah, the crazy making thing of knowing that somebody is evil, and nobody will admit that they're evil. And it's just like it's a very specific craziness. I know it very well. Oh yes, I think it's a very specific craziness. But I think there's also like there's the one to one craziness, but there's also the fact that um, Margot knows very well that Eve's performance and she knows how likely it is that Eve can kind of usurp her position or just take that away from her. And she has every reason to be concerned about that. And in, and in the movie, mm -hmm. all of her very best friends deceive her as a kind of like mm -hmm. retribution. Um, and it's just, yeah, I mean, it may, it's like the only person she really could trust was her fiance because he wasn't in on that. Um, but I think that um, that kind of paranoia over power um, that Margot Channing has um, romantic power, but also professional power. I think that, you know, it, it definitely is worse in the entertainment industry, but I think that it, it also extends into other, certainly into other realms. Like today, I don't, I felt like the movie is, is unfortunately relatable today. <laughs> Um, this was also the only movie, by the way, that like uh, the relationship worked out. Yes, that's uh, with the older older woman, younger man. Like this is the only one where it, the relationship lasted through the entirety of the movie. I, all all the other ones, like Crash and Burn, um, end in blood. <laughs> it's yeah. just like this is the only one where uh, no, they end up married. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, the with nonfiction, like the trouble, I also kind of enjoy the fact that even though um, the way that the movie is, is, is plotted, we find out first that, um, that Julie Binoche's husband is cheating on her with this very young, um, new and very um, enterprising uh, publisher who's working in his, like at the press. I, I can't remember the actress's name, but, um, or the character's name, but we first find out that she's being cheated on, but then I don't know, maybe 20 minutes later, lo and behold, she's cheating on him too. And there and for a much longer time. Oh yes, exactly. And then that's, what I also really enjoyed is that the film doesn't reveal that it's been like five years, I think until they break up. And mm -hmm. 
and and that breakup scene I love between um Selena and uh and the Leonard character because of the fact that she's so cold and to the point and matter of fact and he's so devastated but also says like and she and she's like oh you know this was always a temporary thing he's like yeah but it's been five years and and that's when we also realize wow she's been having an affair for five years you know and yet i was so eager to judge her husband when he was having these dalliances you know for a much shorter period of time with this younger woman he works with and it just seems like that was in in that movie there was very little expectation that anybody was loyal to their romantic partner. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Uh, and yet I feel like because it was almost democratic in the way that that type of adultery was distributed, like among characters, like it didn't feel particularly punitive on any one character. I also enjoyed her demand. Don't turn this into a book. And exactly. like the real anger that she had of don't turn this into a book. Um, although kind of, I don't know, maybe I want to read a novel about a, a five year long affair between a younger man and an older woman. Uh, actually, maybe I do, but uh, you know, like the, the new thing in literature, I was talking to this young writer just finished an MFA and I was like, Oh, what are you working on? She's like, Oh, I'm finishing my novel. It's about uh, it's about the, older professor who sleeps with his younger student, but you know, f- it's flipped. I was like, girl, so many women are writing that novel. Don't write that novel. Oh yeah. <laughs> Please stop writing that novel. Um, but yeah, uh, the, for, and, but just for that relationship to be treated as, um, as normal would be such a, uh, such a treat really, I think. And I'm wondering if it's the French sensibility. I mean, I don't know. I, I I think that might be part of it, although it's not obviously not all of it. Um, but Olivier Assay is. Well, yeah. I mean, look at Macron. Yeah. Yeah. With his with his teacher teacher wife. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a much bigger acceptance of that not being strange or pathologically concerning. Um, of course, you know, Cherie, I think it was made in, I guess, I mean, it's based on the stories of Colette, but it was made in 2009. And I mean, even though, even though it ends tragically, um, Mm -hmm. I did think that that movie did a really good job conveying like the sexual dynamic as being really, um, effortless and, and believable. Like I did not find it mm-hmm. a stretch at all to see Michelle Pfeiffer, who I think was fifty-one when that movie was made, um, mm-hmm. play the role that she played. And I don't—I think that the—I didn't look up the actor's age at the time, but he was probably in his twenties. Um, it didn't feel like a stretch or icky. It felt like okay, yeah, they seem very attracted to each other. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, yes, it's Michelle Pfeiffer, right? But at the same time, I feel like um, the way that movie ends is also interesting insofar as like we find out that um, her younger lover kills himself during this like long take of her face looking in the mirror. And it's really the first time in the whole movie 
where um, her character looks old at all. Like the lighting and the way that they did the movie, um, Michelle Pfeiffer looks so youthful, you know, and I'm sure that they had like the best of Botox, like in the wings, but like, nonetheless, like she's at the very last shot in that film, she does look like she's aged. It's almost like she's aged during the movie um, mm-hmm. with this revelation that it's not going to work out with Cherie. Um, but I don't know. I, I found that movie somehow less depressing, I guess, because of the fact that at least the sexual relationship she did have seemed it was depicted in a way that seemed really, I don't know, sexy and flirty and not necessarily without its problems, but it didn't seem sexually to be, I don't know, pathologized as odd. Um, right. It wasn't, it wasn't a problem that they were together except for uh, that so, uh, society wise, it was scandalous because she was a former sex worker. Um, and uh dear friends with this guy's mother and he's supposed to be establishing himself and respectable society and all these other things. And um, so it was one of those movies where the love is pure. The attraction is pure. It's just that the world is against them kind of thing. Exactly. Um, It pathologizes society, which is what Colette did all the time. But I think that that, that was, was refreshing is to, to do that. And then I also thought that, um, Felicity Jones, who plays Edme, who's the the wife of Cherie. Um, yeah. She was, I mean, she actually wasn't that young um, in the film. She looks younger than she is. But um, she was so good at kind of seeming completely incompatible with him. Like, mm-hmm. I loved how she really didn't seem like a good match despite the fact that they were very close in age and that even mm-hmm. there, I, I just thought like, and she's also Felicity Jones was quite good at just seeming utterly um, unprepared for sexual relations, for just having, having Sheree in her life and being a romantic partner. Um, and she also fulfills all the very feminine qualities that one is supposed to have. And in these movies, what's interesting to me is that I almost wonder, do these older women like uh, Margot Channing, like um, is, uh, is, is uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character Gigi? Is that right? I th- no. Yeah, I think so. It is. Okay. Because he calls her by a nickname during a lot of the movie, like Nunu or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Nunu. But, <laughs> yeah. So, but I think there's like a, there's a way that, um, with with Gigi and with uh, with Margot Channing, that it makes me wonder whether or not they have the like the, the witticisms and this kind of ability to like I feel like there's an egalitarianism in the conversation and to the personality um, that is there maybe because she's so much older that she has that she's given the ability that the female character in the relationship is given the ability to actually be kind of on more level level ground with her male partner um which is i don't know kind of its own misfortune that 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 only that the way to depict like that kind of relationship or that she's appealing but it's also because she's 
she's always making sarcastic asides. Like that's something that I feel like is kind of a, with both um, Cherie and with All About Eve is the motif is that she's, a, she's attractive and it does seem like the, the attraction is genuine, but she's also very, I don't know, sarcastic and quippy. Um, mm-hmm. that, that becomes part of her appeal. Um, like I haven't, I'm trying, I'm searching my brain. I can't think of any film where a younger man is with an older woman and she's like, I don't know, not kind of, um, self-important and witty and like actively, uh, I don't know, in a way kind of actively acerbic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like that becomes part of her appeal. It becomes part of a, a certain type of trope. Right. I mean, it might be just like the idea of um, girls being sort of bred to niceness uh, and politeness and, and these sorts of things. And so um, and that is such an, an important part of femininity that to break away from the expected sort of feminine role in society allows you the sort of um, or requires a, a verbal quality as well uh to to be mean and to be um uh witty and to bring attention to yourself in that way that you're Mm -hmm. definitely not supposed to but it's like that divide between um and this is very french uh you know the wife and the lover um and the wife is somehow supposed to be um sexually inexperienced to the point of almost being frigid and yet that's what makes them worthy of love their purity of course and then uh if you are physically warm and romantic and you know those sorts of things demonstrative uh then you're relegated to the role of the lover and you're not actually um worthy of commitment and fidelity um and that's certainly true in in this particular film, I, I didn't like so much that, um, I mean, it makes sense and you want to make a point about how this is a bad match or whatever, but it's, it's such a, it's such a trope of every romantic comedy, right. Of just like, well, if we want to put somebody in between the lovers who are supposed to be, they have to be obviously horrid, <laughs> uh, or boring or, or, it's, or something in some way, uh, in so that the audience isn't accidentally root for the wrong people. Um, I thought I did think that they went a little bit too far with the Felicity Jones character of, of, of the wife of just being like, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Just like this sort of frigid little, uh, mouse next to, you know, the radiant Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. I think, I, think I, think you I didn't yeah. mind it just cause I don't like Felicity Jones. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I don't either. <laughs> I think I didn't you're absolutely right. I think I didn't mind it just because of my own mean heartedness where I just don't I just <laughs> I just dislike her and I don't have really good reasons to but I you know her she played Ruth Bader Ginsburg recently and I'm just like I know I can't even believe it. Um and so when she when when I saw her in that role I was kind of like, "Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Let's do this." Um but but i but i think you are right they did go a bit extreme with that um in terms of just making her out to be like just a joke compared to michelle pfeiffer's kajiki character um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
And I think there's a way that you could do that, like to give at least some backstory or understanding of how a woman is sort of socialized into that place. Um, but at the same time, to just sort of throw her in there felt felt deeply unfair. But again, like it, it's uh, any sort of star-crossed lover's story that's inevitable, I think, is to uh, uh, to do that. Um, did you? What was that movie, The Baxter? The romantic comedy about the guy who's all, who's like every um, uh, fiance in a romantic comedy with like Meg Ryan or Sandra Bullock or whatever, like the the guy who has an allergy problem or is an accountant or something, and then the dashing hero comes. Do you remember this movie? You're making this up? Am I crazy? No, I don't think you're making it up. I didn't see it though. Um, I. I cannot claim to have seen it. Is that what is that with Elizabeth Banks? It sounds like a Paul Rudd movie. It's Paul like uh, the the guys from Stella, like Michael Ian Black or whatever. Oh no, I don't. I don't think I've seen it. I don't know. I just think of the. I think of romantic comedy like ten to fifteen years ago as as all like Paul Rudd. Um, but it's all still Paul Rudd. I think that's probably true. Um, that's probably true. One of the things I thought was also interesting about nonfiction is that the woman, the younger um, kind of protege, I don't even protege is not the right word. She's, she's basically like the tech startup aspect of the French publishing giant, like the, the fr French publishing house that Elaine, Selena's husband, runs. The woman with whom he has an affair, who's, who's really young um, and beautiful, is actually like mm -hmm. totally uninterested in him as like a real partner. And she is presented later in the film as being having a girlfriend and as being primary, well, at least depicted as being more into women than into men. And how, so in other words, she's not, she's not the typical, I actually liked the fact that she wasn't as this person he has in a, like that he cheats on his wife with, she wasn't an unlikable character, actually. I didn't think. I thought she was a kind of interesting character. Um, really enamored of him. Like, she's not actually genuinely enamored of her boss. Like, she sleeps with him. Right. You know what I mean? But it's not like she's actually falling in love with him and changing her life for him. Um, and that's also unusual to see. Yeah, it's not the doe-eyed secretary. Not, not at all. I mean, she's kind of telling him that he needs to run his business differently or run his publishing house differently. She's, you know, kind of very cavalier about the affair when talking about it to her girlfriend and kind of expecting her girlfriend to just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. And it it just I don't know. I, I often I almost never see the adulteress depicted that way um, or even mm -hmm. sexuality depicted that way. And so far, she's like, yeah, I have a hot male boss. And so <laughs> I had sex with him over a period of time in hotels. <laughs> After tumblers of whiskey and quoting uh, Malherbe. Um, but I know what the fuck I want to move to France. Like, I know. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I just can't imagine a, a character like hers not being utterly villainized in an American film because. Right. Well, yeah, you have to protect the family. Like the nuclear family is the most important uh, societal product that we have. And so it has to be defended like a fortress. It's really, it's, it's very insane. I feel like, I don't know, with these French movies, I feel like they, they're kind of like the nuclear family is only here so that we can make a plot about like felicitously destroying it. <laughs> 
<laughs> only here for our plot purposes. <laughs> I don't know. Just so many movies. That's like the main point. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's cool. I liked her. I, she had cool tattoos too. I was, I was into the, the digital tech startup publishing adulteress seductress, even though I do not like eBooks very much. Um, <laughs> so I think what I, I think what, it, one of the things I was hoping for more out of these films was a, a desire for the younger man or a, a um, contemplation of his beauty. Um, I guess like it happens in uh, something's got to give because it's Keanu, but it's in such a slapstick way. Yeah. Um, there's no sorts of just like admiration. I went because when I went to go see the Leonor Fini uh, exhibit at the fucking museum of sex for some reason, um, you know, she had much younger lovers and she painted them. Um, and she painted them in, in this sort of, uh, in nudes, in repose, uh, and much like, um, a, you know, a man would paint a nude woman. Um, although less sort of, uh, idealized and mythologized and that kind of thing, but still just like the act of looking. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I feel like. I think the movie that does that the most is probably Cherie of the ones that we've been talking about because mm -hmm. about how his eyes are like the shape of a soul fish or something like that. And, and there's like a lot of, I don't know, there's a kind of way that his physical beauty does become part of the movie um, that I enjoyed very much. Um, and he's also, he's kind of feminized in a way. I mean, part of it, he's wearing, I think lipstick most of the film, like Cherie is wearing lipstick, but I think that kind of goes along with the, um, bell, um, epoque, exciting, um, mm -hmm. which is conducive to that. But there's, there's, the, I think that happens the most in that film and the other films, it doesn't really happen that much at all. Um, well, the guy, I mean, Leonard in nonfiction is not no, a good looking man. No, that's um, true. Yeah. But, but I feel like there's one scene in let the sunshine in where the actor, the really hot actor again tattoos very sexy on this particular actor there's a scene where he's like shirtless and she's visiting him i think to confront him about their affair and uh there's not i don't know there could have been more of that i agree there could have been more of that in all of the films um in terms of like desire for a beautiful young man being normal or, you know, mm -hmm. or normalize in certain contexts that it doesn't have to be that it doesn't have to be maternal because that's the thing is like if right. it's automatically maternal then yes it's going to be pathological um to some extent but if it's not primarily or exclusively maternal then it feels a lot more normal um I'm not sure if nonfiction does that. I mean, I like like you said, I don't think it's very easy for it to do it because the Leonard character just isn't that attractive. Um, yeah. Um, although, because even though he's not an attractive man, uh, it is clear throughout why she's with him, which is that she gets to be this funny, goofy, younger version of herself with him. Oh, yeah. Like, they laugh a lot. 
Um, so, and there's an easiness between them that isn't there with her husband. Um, so I like that even though the, the physical attraction, um, wasn't obvious, I feel like the piano teacher is an outlier and maybe too extreme to sort of drag into the conversation, but I did like the ending so much. Um, because I mean, not to get too personal, but, uh, I did have an affair with a younger man, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and it, I don't know, like that scene where she just stabs herself in the chest. I was like, Oh yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's the uh, effortlessness with which he just walks away and pretends like nothing happens. But, and it's destroying. That part is like cavalierness of, oh, Walter. Walter is, his, is the character's name. Mm-hmm. It's so good that he is so good yeah. at seeming at one moment to be so vulnerable and adorational and et cetera. And then to be, to totally blow her off in this, and he's with his younger friends. And oh, God, yeah. he has the ability to blow her off. And I, I have to say, I love the fact that Michael Haneke made him a hockey player because <laughs> I feel like there's this like subtle, like, I don't know, uh, Austrian broness like running through the Walter character that makes his dismissal of Isabella Bear at the very end of the movie that much more devastating and, and just horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, that he can just go back yeah. to being like bro dog hockey dude, uh, who's you know who scares the figure skaters off the ice with the rest of his of his friends, and and that even though his interest in in um, Schubert and his investment um, and infatuation with uh, his teacher um, seems genuine, there's also this the way that he can just like, at least the film depicts him as just kind of completely dropping it is very, I don't know. It was that it, it, it does feel like, okay, yeah, maybe this movie is extreme in, in her issues being what they are, but that's not extreme. That feels very, very true. I think. Um, well, it's also like his approach to music, right? Like he has this, he has a sort of innate talent. Um, that he can walk away from. So he takes the, the lessons he, and he learns from her, but he can also just sort of fuck off and go back to hockey or go back to whatever. Exactly. Like he doesn't have to give himself over to anything. And she doesn't have anything except for her mother and her, and her music. That's it. Um, and so he can just sort of, whenever something doesn't work out the way he wants it, he can just go do something else. Um, which is that sort of like pretty person privilege uh, that's so heartbreaking to people who don't have it. <laughs> just like, of just being able to just be like, okay, oh no, I'm going to do this other thing. I'll take, you know, like whatever. Like and then you're left with them. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's pretty, but he's also depicted as being very, very like naturally talented. And so I think that that mm-hmm. aspect as well, this idea that, well, he can kind of do whatever he wants with his life. And you know, he's not this for him. This is going to be kind of a crazy story, but for her, it's absolutely, you know, it's kind of the, it's the end um, of her life Mm -hmm. in a certain way. Um, At least the movie depicts it as that. And I think that the, um, the way also that what I found really unsettling about the piano teacher the first time I saw it, and I guess less so the second time, just because I I knew it was going to happen, but I found really unsettling just how quickly 
uh, Walter's character shifts from being like deeply upset about her uh, requests, her sadomasochistic requests, to being compliant with them and almost kind of, I don't know, sarcastically reveling in them. Um, that was mm -hmm. disturbing. Um, and yeah. I, I don't know if Michael Haneke was trying to suggest that that's how quickly men can be turned on to beating women. But if that was his goal, he did a good job. Well, I think that that was the goal of the novel. Yeah. I, I mean, Yelenik yeah. sort of, yeah, I mean, that's, that's her life work is to uh, reduce heterosexuality to the master slave okay. <laughs> dynamic. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that that's, that really was what she was trying to say. Um, and yeah, it's a dark vision of, of, uh, of heterosexuality, but, it's, but certainly, you know, obviously coming out of Austria uh, and, and uh, the history of Nazism, um, you know, that also carries a weight of it of just like, oh, no, actually, I, I look good in these black shiny boots, you know, um, maybe maybe this isn't such a terrible uh, pathology as, as, as I was thinking. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that that uh, that has a uh, influence on it as well. Austrian culture is deeply, deeply fucked. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Don't go to Austria. Now I, need to, I need to read the novel now. I haven't read it. Um but Michael Haneke is a director I usually yeah, really enjoy, but he definitely loves to explore like masochistic and sadomasochistic urges um, in a lot of his movies um, or sadistic urges mm -hmm. in a lot of his movies. Um, have you ever seen Code Unknown? That's one where Julia Binoche is in. That's one of Michael Haneke and also Cachet. She's in both of those. I love, yeah, I love Cachet. I haven't seen Code Unknown, um, but I've can, I've seen Cachet a lot. I, I think it's so beautifully done. It's great. It's great. And Code Unknown is actually my favorite Michael Haneke. It's an earlier one and it's less, it's less um, cruel in certain ways. Like there's not any like really uh, shocking violence. And yet the whole movie is very, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very, very weird. And I, um, Juliette Binoche plays an actor in that movie as well. In a way, I was thinking I should rewatch Code Unknown after watching um, nonfiction because, oh, and I mean, Clouds of Sils Maria as well, but Juliette Binoche playing an actor, um, that, that penchant comes up again and again and again. Like, there's so many movies where she's playing, mm -hmm. not herself, but a famous actress. Um, and in both Clouds of Sils Maria and in uh, nonfiction, an actress of a certain age, I thought it was hilarious that Selena is playing this um, like really like hyper violent cop in this mm -hmm. cop show, um, which just felt so, I don't know, in some ways it felt totally unbelievable. But then on the other hand, I thought, okay, maybe I, I can get this. I don't know. They can like dyed her hair red and, made her seem, I don't know, more like <laughs> it, it wasn't that believable to me, but there are parts of it that I thought, okay, maybe this would do, maybe this would be a successful TV show in France. I don't know. Maybe I would watch this. <laughs> Plus there were recurring Hanukkah jokes in, uh, in nonfiction, oh, yeah. which I enjoyed. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there is a lot of kind of, I don't know. I feel like there was a lot of, uh, pleasant lampooning of just the entertainment industry and the publishing industry 
for that matter. Mm-hmm. In nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, any any final thoughts other than there should be more movies where this is a story because it was really sad how, how when we were trying to think of movies for, for this particular topic, it was just like, uh, we can think of like six. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. And then each of us was more excited than the other one. We can maybe think of another one that possibly could fit. Like, wait, what about this one? What about I this one? Um, I think that, yeah, I think that if anything, I think that hope, I don't know. I hope that the, the, um, it being a non-issue as it was in, in nonfiction would be really wonderful to see in the future. Mm-hmm. Be- and as, and as it was in Let yeah. the Sunshine In. Like, and, and hopefully not only will it be a non-issue, but we as moviegoers can be encouraged to revel in younger male beauty, um, through a desirous older woman in a way that doesn't feel pathological, maternal, or shameful. Um, That would be great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.